1999, M. Night Shyamalan gained international recognition when he wrote and directed The Sixth Sense. It became the highest grossing horror movie of all time, nominated for six Academy Awards. And in the year 2000, he followed it up with Unbreakable. In 2002, he wrote and directed one of the greatest alien films of all time, Signs. But we're not here to talk about any of those movies. We're here to talk about his next film, M. Night Shyamalan's masterpiece from 2004, The Village. Hello everybody, welcome back here. Um, first of all, you are hearing behind you a track from the soundtrack of The Village by James Newton Howard, one of the most beautifully haunting soundtracks for a film ever, ever in the history of the world. We'll get back to that later. It's very beautiful. First of all, thank you for joining me. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening to YHS Yes Have Some Podcast. Thank you for being a member of Patreon. If you are a member of Patreon, if you're not, please check it out. Also, I think today or maybe tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of YHS on Monster Island. So, happy birthday to us, Jakey, my wonderful, amazing co-host on that show even if you don't like monsters or kaiju or godzilla which you should but if you don't it's okay but just give it a listen check it out now let's get on with this the village yeah i said in the intro this is a masterpiece and i meant that we're gonna get into it first of all william hurt um passed away recently and that kind of got me thinking about this movie this movie's always been in my top 10 but it was really sad to see he's left us he of course was in the marvel films he played thunderbolt ross he's in a lot he's in lots of things but this movie this performance always comes to mind first when i when i hear anything about william hurt so i watched it in his memory it's been a little i've seen this movie dozens of times I lo- I'm maybe this movie's number one fan, but I'm hoping after this episode, you guys will just follow right in line with me. I think, first of all, before we start talking about this movie, you have to talk about M. Night Shyamalan just a little bit. Nowadays, his name usually produces frowns, sighs. His filmography is sort of all over the place, but I'm, let me go through his filmography here. His, his first breakout film was The Sixth Sense, which is it's critically acclaimed. Everybody knows that movie. Everybody loves it. The twist, it's legendary. That movie is tied you know, to him forever. After that was Unbreakable, which is also an amazing film. 
at this point, he's kind of at the height of his powers. He makes the movie Signs, which is also one of my favorite films. That movie is great. If you have not seen any of those first three movies, go watch them. Because the those three films, any director just coming out of nowhere and dropping the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs is... Um, it, it's, it's a feat of its own. Now, after Signs was The Village, which we're going to get into it. It's my favorite of all those movies. After The Village was Lady in the Water. Now, The Village, first of all, let's let's go back just for a second. It didn't, it, it was a successful film. It made uh, plenty of money in the box office, but it was kind of split on critics. People didn't like it as much. Lady in the Water was the same, but it was kind of uh, reviewed even lower. I like Lady in the Water. It's different. But it's still a good film. Now, after that was the happening. This was it. This was the this was the metaphorical cliff. Um, this movie was not good. Nobody liked. It's weird. There's weird acting in it. Weird everything. It does not seem like the person who made the happening made the village or signs or any of those earlier films. After the happening, this is what. Who? It, it's sort of a tragic thing that happened to M Night. He was. He was really making a name for himself. You know, he talked to Steven Spielberg about writing the fourth Indiana Jones film at one point. He almost directed Harry Potter. He was a big name for a while, but then the happening happened. And then right after the happening was the last airbender. Oh my God, we're not even going to talk about it. And then after that was After Earth, which was is maybe the worst thing he's ever put out. I don't know. That movie's really bad. After that... Uh, I think he took a little bit of a break, and then he came back and did this movie called The Visit, where he kind of got back into his his uh, original stuff, his twists. I think The Visit is fine. I've seen it one time. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. I do not think it's anywhere near as good as the first part of his career, but it was still enjoyable to me. Kind of like a Twilight Zone episode, I thought it was fine. And then Split happened. Split's great. I think Split is a really good movie. It was... Uh, reviewed very well people liked split and then he made a direct sequel to split with glass and i think these go back and forth glass i did not like as much and then he made old which is more recent i think that came out last year old is the movie where these people are on an island and they're just becoming old really quick old was weird it had some of that weird acting weird dialogue in it but it was also just kind of a a fun mystery twilight zone ish episode it did not seem very important or you know it doesn't have a that movie doesn't have lasting effects on me i don't think about it very often but i enjoyed my time watching it so there we go now the sixth sense it's a it's a great movie but i think it's also partly responsible for m night Shyamalan's downfall the twist became something that he was known for. And I think it made him feel like he had to keep delivering on them. The twist in The Sixth Sense is, I mean, it's arguably one of the greatest twists of all time. It works so well. It's a gut punch. It's great. And I think because that was his, you know, first big break, his big film, you know, he, I think he did two films before that, but they were one was like a college film or something like that, and then one after that was just a very, very, very low-budget thing. But 
th- I think this made it made people say this guy is going to do this every time, and it made him feel like he had to do it every time. Now this brings me to two things that I think hurt the village before it was ever even released. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to show some examples of my work. And then we're going to talk about the film itself. And I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to play you guys some examples. I know I'm hoping everybody here has seen the village. And if you haven't, then even better, because maybe you're going to go into this with a different mindset than you would have ahead of time. If you have seen the village, and you didn't like it, I would love for you to listen to this and maybe revisit and see what you think because it's perfect. Um, so the first thing that I think hurt this film probably more than anything was the marketing. I know this, people probably don't remember this as much, but this movie was marketed as if it was a fucking James Wan horror movie. The trailer is completely focused on the creatures there's a bunch of voiceover that's not even in the movie about the creatures and about we do not go in the woods there there are protectors um the edits are weird quick cuts they're sped up scenes there it's typical horror movie cuts and sound effects the music is even different it's like a threatening sounding music that's not in the movie this trailer is cut and edited in a completely opposite way that the actual movie is. The words, the truce is ending, fills the screen in big letters at the end of the trailer. It's insane. It feels like a completely, completely 100% different movie than what it actually is. This movie is about love and loss. It's it's this romantic story and it's really beautiful but the marketing just makes it look like a big time monster movie the creatures in this film are not the important aspect of the movie they are a device used to tell the story and it is a beautiful story and it is a story that's not even hinted at in any way in these trailers i looked up some of the old tv spots and there is a TV spot with a voiceover, and it's that. It's that, like, horror movie voice, you know? From writer-director M. Night Shyamalan. The music sounds like it... The music at the beginning of this TV spot sounds like it's out of The Exorcist. Nothing can prepare you for what lies outside the village. And then there's, like, guitars. It's like... It sounds like Evanescence is scoring the T. The t- you know what? Hold on. How about I just play it for you? Please enjoy this really weird TV spot for the village. Here we go. From writer director M. Night Shyamalan. We have always had a gentle understanding with the creatures who live beyond our borders. What? Excuse me? What the fuck was that? 
Imagine seeing the sixth sense in signs and then seeing this trailer thinking you're about to see some scary ass straight up monster movie and then going to the theater and seeing this slow burn period piece with a bunch of stage actors about a blind girl finding love with zero monsters in it. Of course everybody hated this thing when it came out. It set up such weird expectations for a completely different movie. Of course people were annoyed when they came out of this, thinking about just the promises that that trailer puts forth. And then the second thing that I alluded to that I think hurt this movie before it came out was, as I said, his reputation for the twists. There are two twists in this movie, and both of them are perfectly fine and make complete sense within the reality of this film, and neither one of those uh, twists bother me, because I love this movie, but I can understand how someone who thought they were getting ready to see monsters just wiping out a bunch of villagers go into this movie, and your second twist is just that there are no monsters. I can, I can understand that being frustrating. The fact that he had to put a twist in it. And also, it's not, it's not just the fact that there's a twist in the movie. I don't think that is the bad thing. The bad thing is that people were so preoccupied wondering, what's the twist going to be? It's going to be amazing. He made, he made the sixth sense, and it's going to be like that. It, it put pressure on... On people, it, it raised people's expectations thinking, sitting through this movie thinking like, okay, well, when we get to the end, there's going to be some mind-blowing thing that happens. And, it, and it's not a mind-blowing thing. It makes complete sense to the story. So people's own expectations based on his previous work is, is sort of a, a part of what caused such a backlash towards this movie, I think. Please don't take that as, I don't mean that you need to lower your expectations to enjoy this movie, because this movie is, it's perfect. I think, I think it is the best movie that M. Night Shyamalan has ever made, and will probably ever make in his lifetime. I don't mean lower your expectations for this film and you'll enjoy it. What I mean is that people's expectations specifically for a crazy mind-bending twist is sort of what caused a little bit of the issue. I think those two things, I think the marketing, having a, a marketing push, having M. Night Shyamalan kind of be at the height of his his power and the height of, you know, making really amazing films one after another, and then putting this sort of marketing push towards a movie that's much more subdued and kind of chill, that marketing is highly responsible. And people's issue with though there's going to be a twist there's going to be a cool twist well what's the twist going to be twist those two things are kind of what in my opinion doomed this movie because it's nothing i feel like there's no fault of the actual film itself sit down and watch this movie objectively years away from the marketing and from the and from the trailers sit down now if you have not seen The Village since then and you were disappointed in it back then, sit down now, listen to everything I have said and am going to say, 
get those, get that shit, those expectations of a crazy twist, get that out of your head and just sit down objectively and watch this movie for what it is, which is a beautifully well-written, well-produced story and enjoy it. And you'll say, Hey, yeah, Jacob's right. Like usual. So that listen, listen, hold on. Let me, let me read off the cast for this thing. As I said earlier, William Hurt, always amazing, wonderful actor. Sigourney Weaver, Bryce Dallas Howard, Joaquin Phoenix, Adrian Brody, Brendan Gleeson, Judy Greer. Uh, funny thing about Judy Greer and Bryce Dallas Howard, they play sisters in this film. They also played sisters in Jurassic World. That's just like a little, that's a little trivia. That's an extra trivia thing for you. But that cast, I mean... There's some there's some award winners there. That that's a that is a well-rounded cast. These people know what they're doing. Cinematographer Roger Deakins, Blade Runner 2049, No Country for Old Men, all of the Coen Brother movies, Shawshank Redemption. Every shot in this film is deliberate. The 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 look alone is special in this movie and you can tell there's less, you know, if you if you've been listening to regular YHS, you listen to the last episode where Craig talked about how he made me sit down and watch Pitch Perfect. One of the things I noticed watching Pitch Perfect was that it felt it did not feel like a real movie. It felt like it was shot on an iPhone. There's 1500 cuts per minute. It felt like there's back and forth. There's no real cinematography happening. It just felt like film this, film this, film this. This movie feels like a piece of art when you're watching it. You can tell that it was filmed with purpose. The camera is where it needs to be. There's thought behind what is happening, how it's being shown to you. And as I said earlier, it's scored by James Newton Howard featuring violin solos by Hilary Hahn. Uh, he, He scored a lot of things. He did The Dark Knight. It's clearly, this movie is clearly a movie full of like, high artistic achievement visually musically and definitely when it comes to the acting okay i'm back here oh i mean i know this is a podcast so you don't know that i went anywhere but i needed to get some coffee so excuse me i got some coffee the magic of podcasting you didn't even know i was gone but i but i wasn't i'm back now I'm gonna do I wanna do a rundown of this entire plot. Um if you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, clearly spoilers. I wanna go through the whole thing. I'm gonna do it pretty quick though. I'm not gonna linger on everything. Some stuff I'm probably gonna skip over. I just wanna give, you know, basically what happens, and there are a few things I will stop and talk about. There are a few scenes that I wanna play for you as uh, my evidence into the folder for why you should watch this movie, why you should rethink it if you did not enjoy it, why this movie is amazing. So this movie opens on a funeral. Uh, a child has died. You, we see by the gravestones like a seven-year-old kid. And immediately we meet Noah Percy, who is played by Adrian Brody, who is um, a handicapped person. And right away, you see he kind of gets excited for, I don't know, anytime somebody's in trouble, anytime something bad is happening, 
he gets excited about the the monsters and that's all important anyways the beginning of this film you see kind of basically the life in the village you get cuts of people living their everyday life you kind of learn about the bad color a little bit we see that there are watchers in towers at night surrounding the village all of this is sort of showed to us over that amazing score that I was telling you about some kids find some dead animals and then you get a little bit of exposition you get Mr. Walker, who is a teacher, and he's telling the kids, uh, those we don't speak of um, are responsible for the animals' deaths. They have not breached our border for a long time. There is a truce, that kind of stuff. There's, there's town meetings that happen often. It seems like maybe every day or something. I don't know. Anyway, this is where we meet Lucius Hunt who is the son of Sigourney Weaver's character, played by Joaquin Phoenix, and he wants to go into town. The kid, you know, the, the, the thought of the kid dying at the beginning is weighing on his head, and he wants permission to go through the woods, to go to town, to get some medicines. He believes that the creatures will not harm him because his intentions are good. Lucius is quiet, he's brave, he's strong, he knows that there are secrets being kept in this village. He is smarter than most. They find more animals, there's town meetings, they're trying to calm everybody. It's not, they, at this point they're saying, you know what, it's not those we don't speak of. Sigourney Weaver's character has, uh, she's, she's talking to the town and she says, uh, there's, a, there's a really great bit of foreshadowing here where she says, the manner in which these animals are being found makes us think that whatever is doing this suffers from madness. Just remember that. So Kitty, who is played by Judy Greer, she is Bryce Dallas Howard's character, Ivy's sister. She wants to marry Lucius. She asks her father for permission. And there's a very funny moment where she comes to Lucius and professes her love to him. And he just kind of blankly stares at her and it's just a hard cut to her crying. So he shoots her down and this is where we see Ivy for the first time. She's see her from the back. She's kind of trying to console her sister. You get scenes of, um, excuse me. You get scenes of, uh, the young men play these games in the woods where they, they stand on a stump and they put their back to the woods for as long as they can, you know, before they get too scared. Stuff like that. Lucius brings firewood to August's house. August is the man whose son died at the beginning. And he says these words to Lucius. I love this little bit. He says, You know, like a dog can smell you. You may run from sorrow as we have. Sorrow will find you. It can smell you. And then he looks over to a locked box hidden in the corner what does that mean what what does it mean you can run from sorrow as we have there's mysteries happening here we're building on something clearly we're going to figure it out we get more of noah percy playing around hitting some kids he gets in trouble ivy's like hey you can't hit kids this is you meet ivy for the first time about 18 minutes into this movie um she her and noah clearly have a, a relationship they like each other Um, She helps out. She helps him. He listens to her. He's clearly into Ivy. Oh, boy. There's all kinds of stuff happening. There's some small talk. Ivy and Lucius, it's clear they got a thing for each other. 
Lucius goes back to the council and he says, hey, Noah's been in these woods. He knows this because Noah has some berries, which are the bad color that he just picks out of his pocket. He found them in the woods. You're not supposed to be in the woods. So his mom is basically trying to scare him and says, tells him what happened to his father. Your father was murdered in the towns. You don't want to go there. She's also got one of those locked boxes. There's secrets in every corner of this village. Now, he doesn't care. He goes anyway. He walks into the woods, testing the waters. He does see one of the creatures. We don't see it, but he sees it. After that, there's a big scene. There's a big breach. Those we don't speak of come into the town. They're terrorizing. It's a, it's a scary scene. Everybody's trying to hide. They're marking the doors. They're scratching on the doors. And again, Noah is excited that this is happening. He's into it. He's laughing. He's clapping. Noah, please shut up. There is a big scene here where Ivy is reaching her hand out. She knows Lucius is going to come make sure she's okay. and She's waiting on him. She has her hand reached out and one of the creatures is coming towards her. But at the last second... Lucius grabs her hand. It's a big moment. It's tense. The music swells. There's slow motion. It's romantic. It's awesome. It is a big moment for Ivy and Lucius for their relationship. It's great. Now, after this, we find out there's another town meeting. Lucius admits to going into the woods, and he's like, that's why I know that's why the, the, the creatures came out. Now, we cut to Kitty. She gets married to... She's found another man. She's she's She no longer cares about Lucius. Found another dude. She gets married. During the reception, there are screams. Some children saw a creature, and they found more animals. This time, there's a lot of them. A lot of animals. Now, we get to one of the best scenes, I think, in the movie. And I'm going to play this for you. Lucius and Ivy on her porch. This entire scene is shot from behind. It's a very different stylistic choice than you would usually see, but I think it, it really works. The dialogue here is, it's dreamy. <laughs> the dialogue here is so good. I've said it 50, I'm, I'm like 20 minutes into this episode, and I've said it 50 times how great the dialogue is. This is a good example that I'm going to give you. Everybody in this movie is so into it. It really makes it feel real. There is a real sense of emotion. The speech that Lucius gives here is beautiful and it feels a hundred percent genuine. And then they go in for a kiss and they pan away and they don't even really show it. It is a scene that I hope all involved with are are proud of. It is really it's really beautiful and here we go. When we are married, will you dance with me? I find dancing very agreeable. Why can you not say what is in your head? Why can you not stop saying what is in yours? Why must you lead when I want to lead? I will open my mouth and speak. 
is forever, Blake. You just speak forever. Why? What good is it to tell you you are in my every thought from the time I wake? What good can come from my saying I, I sometimes cannot think clearly or, or do my work properly? What game can rise from my telling you the only time I feel fear as others do? Is when I think of you in harm. That is why I am on this part, Ivy Walker. I fear for your safety before all others. And yes, I will dance with you on our wedding night. See? Uh, I don't understand how you could listen to that, watch that, and just not be in this story. Uh, and, and also maybe to just not fall in love with Joaquin Phoenix there, because uh, maybe I did. Um, that's a beautiful scene, man. And that's not even, that's not the whole, there's a little more to the speech, but I, I gave you the part where it kind of picks up the good stuff. And... Wow, I want you, I want everybody who's listening here to think back to that TV spot that I played for you from earlier. Think back to the insanity, to the, to the feeling that that TV spot gave you. What kind of movie you thought you were going to see. And then imagine sitting in the theater and hearing what I just played for you. There's a, it's a big difference. Okay. So movie keeps going. We get a little more here. The next, the next thing that happens, there's another big scene here. Word gets out. They're going to marry Noah visits Lucius. Now this scene is another beautifully filmed shot scene. So, Noah knocks on the door. Lucius is like, oh, is this about me and Ivy? He turns around. He's looking the opposite way, and he's talking. He's like, you know, Ivy Ivy really likes you. You know, you, she's she thinks the world of you. And the camera does this thing where you're kind of looking. You're seeing through Noah's perspective, through his view, and the camera follows Lucius, gets really close to him, so when Lucius turns around, it's it's almost like an extreme close-up. And he turns around, and he looks confused immediately. We cut back to Noah. It's an extreme close-up. They're showing us that Noah is, like, right in Lucius's face. And then we cut back to Lucius again. He looks down. There's no sound except for the wind blowing. There's no music. He looks down, and he sees that Noah has stabbed him he has a knife in like right in his belly slowly pulls the knife out lucius falls noah stabs him again and we don't know how many times he stabs him they show you two it's it looks like it's there's possibly more than that who it's it's pretty intense ivy finds his body and now this is now 
Ivy's movie. This is where you realize this movie is about Ivy. It is about her journey. You kind of thought Lucius was the main character. Lucius has no more dialogue in this film. You never see his face again. He's he's basically done in this in this movie. Ivy visits Noah, smacks the shit out of him, and she says, "I want to go to the wood through the woods now. I need to go to towns for medicine." Mr. Walker, Ivy's father, he starts asking around. You can tell he's kind of trying to gauge what the other elders' thoughts are on letting Ivy go. We get to a part here in the movie where it's no longer a linear storytelling. The scenes are cut around each other. There's back and forth. We see Ivy packing, getting ready to go. The elders are talking. Mr. Walker, Ivy's father, starts to tell her some things. Tell her about her grandfather. He was rich. He had a lot of money. He was murdered. While he's doing this, he's leading her to a shed, and he asks her, do you know where you are? She says, the old shed not to be used. And then he says to her, do your very best not to scream. Then we get a cut. We don't, we don't see right away what he's talking about. We now see that Ivy's brother-in-law and another member of the town are going with her on a trip through the woods. They're in their cloaks of yellow, which is their safe color. They're going through the woods. Ivy has the magic rocks. What are these magic rocks? We've never heard of the magic rocks before. Both her brother-in-law and the other guy, they get too scared. They leave her alone. She dumps the magic rocks out. We're like, okay, so the magic rocks clearly don't mean anything. We cut back to the shed at this point. This is where it is revealed the creatures are fake. There are no monsters. The elders made this up in order to keep everyone scared from leaving the village. They don't want people to go to the towns. So they made up this whole thing. But he does say there did exist rumors of creatures in these woods. She asks, what about the animals? And he says, we believe one of the elders is responsible. It won't happen again. A little iffy on what's happening with the animals. And then there's another bit of cool dialogue that I really like where he says to Ivy, there is no one in this village who has not lost someone irreplaceable. Who has not felt loss so deeply that they question the very merit of living at all. It is a darkness I wished you would never know. That is some good writing. This movie feels like a novel or a play. It feels so it feels somehow more real to me than a than a movie. So he's done this without the elders at first. He goes to the elders, he's telling them. They're getting mad at him. How could you let her go? And then there's a speech that happens. This is this is acting at its finest. I love this. Yet another example of the beautiful work in this film. And I'm going to play this scene for you as well. This is what I always think about. Anytime I hear William Hurt's name, anytime he pops up in any movie... This scene is what I think of. Here we go. What have you done? 
he is the victim of a crime. We have agreed never to go back. Never. What was the purpose of our leaving? Let us not forget it was out of hope of something good and right. You should not have made decisions without us. You have gone too I'm far. guilty, Robert. I made a decision of the heart. I cannot look into another's eyes and see the same look I see in August without justification. It is too painful. I cannot bear it. You have jeopardized everything we've made. Who do you think will continue this place, this life? Do you plan to live forever? It is in them that our future lies. It is in Ivy and Lucius that this, this way of life will continue. Yes, I have risked. I hope I am always able to risk everything for the just and right cause. If we did not make this decision, we could never again call ourselves innocent. And that, in the end, is what we have protected here. Innocence! That I'm not ready to give up. Let her go. If it ends, it ends. We can move towards hope. It's what's beautiful about this place. We must not run from heartache. You know, my brother was slain in the towns. The rest of my family died here. Heartache is a part of life. We know that now. Ivy's running toward hope. Let her run. This place is worthy. She will be successful in her quest. How could you have sent her? She's blind. She's more capable than most in this village. And she is led by love. The world moves for love. It kneels before it in awe. If you don't like this movie, then get the fuck out of my face. Holy shit. That is a masterclass in acting, writing, music. Everything about that is perfect. And you know what? You're allowed to have your opinion. I'm sorry. I did not mean you don't have to get out of my face. It's okay. People have opinions. If your opinion is that this movie is not good, I'm sorry, but sometimes opinions are wrong. You think, how can opinion be wrong? It's my personal. I'm sorry. It's just wrong. That scene is amazing. It is string-pulling. It's gut-wrenching. It's perfect. <sighs> William Hurt, man, he was... Amazing. Great actor. After this scene, we cut back to Ivy. She is alone in the dark. She's scared. There are noises. Something is clearly here. She has already been told the creatures are fake. But she does remember her father telling her about the rumors. She's being followed 
and it is a creature. It is those we don't speak of. It's a it's a tense scene. It takes place completely in the daylight, which I really like. She ends up outsmarting the creature. There's a big pit, and the creature falls into the pit where it is impaled, and it dies. Now, there is some, you know, I've seen people talk about this scene being maybe where the editing could have been changed. I've seen people say that maybe they should not reveal that the creatures were fake until after this scene, and that makes sense to me. But never never once watching this, even on my first watch, I never thought like, oh, that would have been more tense if we didn't know. Sure. But I think what M. Night is trying to do here is he replays that line of dialogue where Mr. Walker says there did exist rumors. Even though they've showed us the monsters are fake, he's trying to make you think like, oh, well, then what is this? Maybe they're maybe they're not all fake. So then it, it is cut to the reveal that Noah has escaped. He found one of the suits, and he's the one who's been chasing Ivy. You realize he is the one who's been responsible for the animals, all of the foreshadowing. Remember earlier when there was a bit of foreshadowing where someone said, whoever's been killing these animals, it seems like they've been showing signs of madness. Not to say that a, a disability is madness, but the foreshadowing is that it's been Noah the whole time. He's 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 he stabbed somebody. He laughs whenever the the creatures are coming. He likes beating people up. He's been hitting people. It was Noah the whole time, and now he sits in this bottom of this pit, and he dies. And I some people think, oh well, that's lame. Noah's been the Noah's the monster. It's not that he's been the monster the whole time. But Noah has made the stories real. He has become the creature. And the elders are able to take this tragedy of his death and turn it to their advantage. They are going to tell the villagers Noah was killed by the creatures. He makes the stories true. He attacked Ivy. Ivy was the only one who was told the creatures were not real. And then this happens to her. So she's going to come back and be like, yo, dad, they, guess what? They are real. I killed one. And, and this kind of brings up a thought to me that's not, it's not talked about or, you know, really hinted or anything else in the rest of the film, but. It's a similar point to me that I think they try to make in A Clockwork Orange. Kind of the point of that movie, I think, is that there's not really... Violence is is something that's a part of life, you know. They started the village because they were all affected with great pain and loss. And they wanted to build something where violence would just not be present. They wanted to eradicate it. And it's sort of impossible, isn't it? It's kind of a part of human nature. In Clockwork Orange, um, the main character, Alex, he goes out and he commits these horrible acts of violence on people every night until he is finally arrested. He goes to jail. He goes through this really awful technique that makes him get sick whenever he thinks of violence or when he thinks of a violent act. So when he is released, 
he's cured, right? He can do no more harm to society. We fixed it. We fixed the violence problem. But nobody thought about the fact that people now recognize Alex and they inflict the violence upon him. It's a circle. There's no way to get rid of it. This movie is kind of the same thing. They, they build this village. No violence. We're going to get rid of all that stuff. But then the violence just comes from within, some way or another. And as I'm saying this now, I understand that the character who ends up committing the violence is the handicapped character. And that's that's possibly offensive, but I do not think that was meant to be. It wasn't... I don't think M. Night Shyamalan was on purpose saying, like, yeah, well, handicapped people don't know what they're doing and they commit... I don't think that's it. I, I, I'm making that connection as I'm saying it. But the the point is that Violence is going to come from within. Some Somebody, if it wasn't Noah, it would have been somebody else. It, it was going to come from somewhere. And that's your first twist of the, of the story, basically. And then we're going to get to the second twist. Ivy comes to a road. She goes over a fence. She leaves the woods. And there's a car. There's somebody in a car. He's like a, a guard, basically. You see a sign that says, Walker Nature Preserve. They're living inside of a preserve. The money... Ivy's grandfather, who was a billionaire... You see this on a newspaper. He was a billionaire. They... The, the entire... The elders, basically, what happened was... All the elders all dealt with, with big loss. They have money. They're rich. Mr. Walker says, I have an idea. They basically all take their money... They buy this preserve. They're living on it. They're hiring people on the outside of the preserve to guard it, to make sure no one gets in, to take care of the things that need to be taken care of. And there's even talk of keeping planes from flying overhead. Now, sure, there are little plot things like, well, why don't they also provide them with medicine, maybe? I don't know. Sure. But anyways... Ivy meets the guard. She talks to him. He's clearly confused. He doesn't know what's happening. But he's a nice dude. And he helps her get what she needs. Gets her some medicine. And then Ivy goes back. She comes back into Lucius's room. He is surrounded by the elders. She's crying. She kneels down. And has one line of dialogue before the screen cuts to black. She leans down, tears are flowing, and she says, I'm back, Lucius. Cut to black. Cut to this beautiful score. And there's hope that the medicine is going to save Lucius. And the two of them and the entire village will live on as things were in their community. And that's the film. This movie's great, guys. It really is. It's a testament to a lot of people's really hard work. And it bums me out. The events that sort of led to this movie kind of becoming disappointing to a lot of people. It did well at box office. The reviews were kind of uh, half and half. But a lot of people say that this movie is kind of, you know, the beginning of M. Night's downfall. And I and I hate that. I hate reading that. I think this movie's great. You know, 
a lot of directors are are not <laughs> without their flaw. I mean, Steven Spielberg made Jaws and Jurassic Park, which are, in my opinion, the two greatest movies ever made. But Steven Spielberg has also made a bunch of movies that aren't so great. A lot of movies that people pan and pass on. But like because it's Steven Spielberg, he he kind of gets a pass, but M Night kind of got a lot of after this movie happened, it didn't happen here with the village, but when he hit The Happening and After Earth and Last Airbender, he sort of got a he got a lot of shit. And I feel bad for him because he seems like a really nice dude and he's made some, he's really put out some wonderful pieces of art into the world. So I know he's kind of made sort of a comeback. Split did well. But it's just a bummer, man. It's a bummer when you hear people make fun or laugh because of, you know, his his sort of middle few films but this movie I think is perfect it is in my top 10 of all time and I cannot see it being bumped out of there maybe I'll do an episode of these where I just go through my top 10 my top 10 changes a little bit but the village is always there I hope you guys enjoyed this episode I hope it makes you think twice if you were one of the people who did not like this movie, please go back and give it another shot. Again, just thank you so much for sticking around, listening to everything that we have to say, everything we have to offer. And I'm just going to, I'm going to leave you with this in a world full of, you know, Marvel films and superhero movies everywhere you look in a world full of Fast and the Furious films. When people like Craig try to make you watch Pitch Perfect. Just say fuck it. And watch The Village instead. <laughs>